Today is Wednesday, May the 17th, 2023. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Google's Bard chatbot now has a capability to help you with programming tasks. The tech giant said that coding has been one of its users' top requests, and now it has given Bard the ability to generate, debug, and explain code. Bard can now write in 20 programming languages, including C++, Java, JavaScript, and Python. It now also features integration with Google's other products and can export code to Colab, the company's cloud-based notebook environment for Python, as well as help users write functions for Sheets. Aside from being able to generate code, Bard can now provide explanations for snippets of code. It could be especially useful if you've only just started learning programming, since it will show you why a particular block has the output that it has, And yes, Bard can now also help you debug code that isn't quite working like you want it to. Google admits that at this point, Bard might spit out code that doesn't produce the expected output or code that's incomplete. The tech giant advises double-checking and testing its responses first. In fact, Bard can debug its own output if you find that it's returning an error. Just type in this code didn't work, please fix it. Finally, if you're not a programming beginner, but still need a help, you can ask the chatbot to optimize your code by making it faster or more efficient. The tech giant opened up access to its AI chatbot in March, though it's still a ways to go to reach the popularity that ChatGPT is enjoying today. To note, ChatGPT has the ability to write and improve existing code in several programming languages as well. So Google is giving Bard the capability is perhaps inevitable. Google has also been constantly improving Bard in other ways and previously rolled out upgrades powered by a new programming language called PALM. A few days ago, the company created an experiment update page where you can see all the changes Bard has gone through as it adds even more features and perform bug fixes. Samsung bans AI tools like ChatGPT in workplace. Samsung Electronics is banning employee use of AI-powered chatbots following the discovery of internal data leaks. The company issued a warning last week prohibiting its employees from using generative AI tools on company-owned computers, tablets, and smartphones for any purpose. Beginning May, employees are banned from using generative AI tools on company computers, the notice said. Please adhere diligently to the security guidelines. 
South Korea-based Samsung Electronics, the world's largest manufacturer of memory chips, found late last month that some engineers in its semiconductor business had uploaded sensitive company information, which then became a part of the source code on ChatGPT. The incident prompted the company to take an in-house survey in which it discovered that two-thirds of the respondents worried about security risks stemming from the use of ChatGPT for work. Recognizing that its engineers likely used the program for efficiency gains, Samsung said it would work on developing an alternative AI tool specific for internal use. American financial behemoths such as J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs have also taken defensive measures. The Italian government last week banned the use of ChatGPT due to data breach concerns. Other countries are considering similar measures. Since the unveiling of ChatGPT late last year by OpenAI, the chatbot program has been used by millions around the world, outperforming expectations. Google stepped up to announce its own AI program, BARD, while Microsoft, a financial backer of OpenAI, said it was adding the ChatGPT function into its search engine Bing. Growing concerns have been raised over security and data breaches. Apple lost lawsuit to ban iOS virtual machines. iOS VMs for research are legit and legal court rules. Following a years-long battle with Corellium, Apple has been told by U.S. courts that third-party virtual iOS devices are indeed allowed and there's nothing it can do to put an end to that. Corellium markets itself as providing never-before-possible security vulnerability research for iOS and Android phones and allows security workers to run virtual desktops and OSs for research purposes. The court agreed, stating that Corellium furthers scientific progress by allowing security research into important operating systems, but it's likely that Apple has other concerns. Ordinarily, the only way for a consumer to get their hands on iOS is to buy expensive Apple hardware, which has also been a requirement for developers. However, concerns have been raised that developers may also be able to use Corellium's security-focused VMs to try out apps without having to acquire the right hardware. The duplication of copyrighted work under certain circumstances meant that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit ruled that Corellium Corsac Simulator is protected by copyright law's fair use doctrine. Corellium maintains that the simulator is primarily used by researchers, federal agencies, and defense contractors, and that there are clear differences between it and the regular distribution of iOS. The duel faced a legal battle several years ago when in late 2020, a Florida federal judge ruled that the use of iOS in connection with a Corellium product is permissible. Apple has long been notorious for the way it distributes its products, with third parties being very limited in numbers. Microsoft makes embarrassing Windows 11 U-turn. 
after user revolt over ads. Microsoft was treating Windows 11 like a billboard bus, finding ways to stick advertisements for its services along every surface of its operating system. In addition to ads in the start menu, the latest test build for Windows 11 included notices for a Microsoft 365 trial in the settings menu. The Windows 11 beta included a notice to try Microsoft 365. There's also a notice for OneDrive and another to ask users to finish setting up a Microsoft account. Advertising users can use the 365 apps and its cloud storage on a desktop. Another notice in the Accounts tab blasted users with a request to sign into their Microsoft account. Microsoft sticking ads in Windows 11 settings menu created a huge user backlash. Complaining works. Microsoft did a U-turn on ads in Windows 11 with the Windows app. It was a baby step in the right direction. It looks like complaining can work that Microsoft had pulled a U-turn when it comes to cramming one of Windows 11's most popular apps with ads. In a late report, Microsoft had recently changed the weather app in Windows 11 to be based on the MSN website weather service. While this ordinarily wouldn't have been too controversial, as web-based apps can take up less storage space and run more quickly than traditional Windows apps, Microsoft still find a way of annoying users by adding ads into what was once an ad-free app. This isn't the first time Microsoft has riled up the user base by forcing ads into its products, but it looks like this time it went too far, with a backlash on social media and via Microsoft's feedback site causing the company to quietly drop ads from the app, or at least some of the app. On the home screen, you'll no longer see ads in the app. However, it has been noticed that if you click on another page in the app, such as forecasts, there are still ads. Also, if you click see full forecasts from the weather widget, you'll end up on the MSN weather website, which also shows ads. Annoyingly, this is also opens in Microsoft's Edge web browser, and if you don't have it set as default, you'll also get a pop-up asking you to change that. A welcome U-turn, but it's not enough. All these advertisements and nagging pop-ups can make Windows 11 feel like a chore to use. And it's welcome that Microsoft seems to have taken to heart some of these criticisms. A company listening to customer feedback and making relevant changes is always good and should be applauded. However... While this may be a sign that Microsoft is reevaluating its entire approach to ads in Windows 11, unfortunately, it's not enough. The fact that Microsoft quietly dropped ads from the first page of the Weather app without any acknowledgement infers Microsoft is not entirely fond of this move and could reintroduce ads just as quietly as it removed them. Also, with ads only being removed from one screen in one app, also leads one to think that this is a move that's not going to be replicated elsewhere, if at all. It all feels a bit like Microsoft has begrudgingly removed the bare minimum of ads. So despite this being a positive move, Microsoft has a lot more to do if it wants to properly address the concerns many people have about the liberties it's taking with Windows 11. If they really want Windows 10 users to migrate to Windows 11, this sure is an odd way of communicating the benefits of Windows 11.
Windows 10 isn't dead after all. Microsoft may add a few minor features in the future. The effective death of Windows 10 in terms of feature updates being completely halted may have been announced prematurely, as it seems Microsoft would still be tweaking and adding some capabilities to the operating system, albeit only in a very minor capacity. This is according to a G-Hacks report that points out a new Windows 10 build hitting the release preview channel, and guess what? There are some new features in that build. This means that once tested in the preview channel, those features which comprise of tweaks to the search box in the taskbar and also minor changes to notifications will be arriving for the full version of Windows 10 soon. So it seems while Microsoft will not be pushing out any major updates for Windows 10, so there'll be no 23H1 upgrade and no moment-style feature drops for the operating system. What might happen is that some minor features are going to pop up from time to time in cumulative monthly updates. It's possible that this is just one last piece of work that the software engineers were working on while finishing off Windows. If we look at what Microsoft announced at the end of April regarding the freeze on Windows 10 features, the statement read, Windows 10 version 22H2 will be the final version of Windows 10 released. It will receive monthly security update releases until October 14th 2025. To us, that very much implies that monthly security updates will be the only thing applied to Windows 10 from now until October 2025. However, it doesn't expressly say there'll be no features, including minor tweaks, just that there won't be a 23H1 version or any other big updates. Looking at the new release preview build, it's mostly minor feature tweaks. It'll mostly be security fixes going forward, but maybe with the occasional changes on the feature front, but nothing to get excited about. Microsoft may continue with minor tweaks to Windows 10. Time will tell, but for now, we think Windows 10 users can at least take some comfort in this latest development. Even if the operating system is definitely not going to see anything much done to it over the next couple of years before Microsoft pulls the rug from us. But on second thought, what if Microsoft decides to scatter ads through Windows 10 such as what had happened or has been happening to Windows 11 to promote migration to Windows 11? The pushback on ads in Windows 11 may have redirected Microsoft to a shift in marketing strategy and they decide to do this ad scattering in Windows 10. Younger generation is ditching smartphones for dumb phones. There is a growing movement among Gen Z to do away with smartphones and revert back to less smartphones like old school flip and slide phones. Flip phones were popular in the mid-1990s and 2000s, but now seems to be making a comeback among younger people. While this may seem like a counterintuitive trend in our technology, Reliance Society, it is steadily gaining in popularity. Flip phone sales are on the rise in the United States. Gen Z's interest in flip phones is the latest in a series of obsessions young people are having with the aesthetic of the 1990s and 2000s. 
Y2K fashion has been steadily making a comeback over the past few years, and the use of vintage technology like disposable cameras is on the rise. There are a few reasons why, including nostalgia and yearning for an idealized version of the past, doing a digital detox, and increasing privacy concerns. Nostalgia is a complex emotion that involves reconnecting with the happy emotions of an idealized past by recalling positive memories. Over the years, marketers have realized that nostalgia is a powerful way to evoke positive emotions, so much so that nostalgia marketing has become a recognized marketing strategy. It leverages positive memories and feelings associated with the past to create an emotional connection with consumers. A wealth of research shows that nostalgia can result in consumers being willing to pay more, enhance brand ties, increase purchase intention, and increase digital brand engagement. Nostalgia may be a driving factor behind people purchasing flip phones because they evoke memories of a previous era in a mobile communication. But nostalgia marketing doesn't just target the younger generation. It's also a powerful tool for advertising those who grew up using older mobile devices. Nokia is an example of a company that understands this well. A YouTube advertisement for Nokia's 2720V Flip shows how brands can use nostalgia marketing to customers and drive product sales. When older generations speak about objects from the past, they usually hearken back to the golden era or golden time. Another reason why people might be purchasing flip phones is to do a digital detox and cut down on screen time. A digital detox refers to a period of time when a person refrains from using their electronic devices, like smartphones, to focus on social connections in the physical world and reduce stress. In 2022, people in the United States spent more than 4.5 hours daily on their mobile devices. In Canada, adults self-reported spending about 3.2 hours per day in front of screens in 2022. Children and youth had about three hours of screen time per day in 2016 and 2017. Excessive smartphone usage can result in a number of harmful side effects, such as sleep disruption. Just over 50% of Canadians check their smartphones before they go to sleep. The blue light emitted from smartphones may suppress melatonin production, making it harder to sleep and causing physiological issues, including reduced glucose tolerance, increased blood pressure, and increased inflammatory markers. The increased level of digital connectivity and the pressure to respond instantly, especially in a post-pandemic world where many people work remotely, can lead to increased levels of anxiety and stress. Being constantly online can also lead to reduced social connectivity and can negatively impact personal relationships and social skills. The constant digital noise and multitasking nature of smartphones and apps like TikTok can lead to decreased attention spans. A condition known as text neck can also occur when a person spends extended periods of time looking down at an electronic device. 
the repetitive strain of holding the head forward and down can cause discomfort and pain in the neck. As people become more aware of the potential side effects of excessive screen time and constant digital connectivity, some are choosing to digitally detox. Flip phones are a way people can limit the exposure to digital noise and build a healthier relationship with technology. Smartphones have a long list of advanced features such as cameras, GPS, and tons of mobile applications, all of which can store and access a significant list of personal data. In some cases, personal data can be used for targeted advertisements, but in worst cases, that information can be leaked as part of a data breach. More and more people are growing concerned with how their data is being collected, shared, and used by companies and online platforms. It's natural to feel worried about the potential misuse of our personal information. That's why some people are taking matters into their own hands and seeking out creative ways to limit the amount of data being collected about them. Old-fashioned flip phones generally have fewer features that collect and store personal data compared to smartphones. That can make them a more attractive option for people concerned with privacy, data breaches, or surveillance. But this trend doesn't mean smartphones are going out of style. There are still millions of smartphones being shipped worldwide every year. The trend may result in users opting to own both a smartphone and a flip phone, allowing users to digitally detox and reduce screen time without sacrificing the benefits of social media. The pace of cord cutting picked up in the first quarter as the relevance of traditional video continued to fade. More than 2.3 million people in the United States abandoned their pay TV subscriptions during the quarter, according to estimates from Moffitt Nathanson analyst Craig Moffitt. These losses marked a significant acceleration compared with a decline of 2 million subscribers in a year earlier first quarter, constituting a 6.9% drop, the fastest pace ever recorded. As consumers continue to cut the cord, the portion of occupied U.S. households paying for video packages has been on the decline. Penetration peaked upwards of 80% about 15 years ago, according to Moffitt estimates, but it now stands at 58.5% of households, even when including virtual multi-channel video programming distributors services like Dish Network Corporations and Alphabet Inc.'s YouTube TV that let people watch traditional channel virtually. The current penetration is similar to levels last seen in 1992, two years before the debut of DirecTV brought cable TV to rural America for the first time. When just looking at traditional pay TV, the penetration rate falls to 45%, the lowest level in 37 years, according to Moffitt. It's no surprise that consumers continue to ditch their linear video packages as the quality of traditional TV content has worsened. The entertainment networks have been stripped bare, with their best programming having long since moved to streaming video on demand. The regional sports networks have gone bankrupt, folded their tents, and left town. Even the news networks with fewer and fewer subscribers left to pay the bills have cut their budgets. Moffitt sees the industry now amid an impoverishment cycle 
which has stripped traditional video of viewership, driving media companies to move their best content elsewhere, and therefore driving viewership lower still. Even the online services like Hulu Live, Sling TV, and YouTube TV are struggling for momentum on the whole, with losses of 250,000 households in aggregate in the first quarter, a decline that Moffat said is one of the worst on record. As we've seen for the past four years, subscribership now drops sharply in quarter one after the football season ends. Some services seem to be faring better than others. YouTube TV picked up 300,000 in the first quarter, while Hulu has barely grown over the past three years. Disney Plus and Hulu will combine into one app. Disney plans to fully acquire Hulu and merge the two major streaming apps over the next seven months. Disney says you won't need three different apps to engage with all three of the company's streaming services. These days, there are far too many streaming services out there. For once, though, the news is perhaps fewer, not more, subscriptions on the way. Say goodbye to separate streaming subs for Disney Plus and Hulu. The two services are set to become one for U.S. customers by the end of 2023. Disney announced its intent roll out a single streaming app, including content from ESPN Plus, Hulu, and Disney Plus before 2024. The company noted that the plan is for one consolidated streaming service, which avoids the need for multiple subscriptions. CEO Bob Iger described it as a logical progression and said it would ultimately lead to a more unified streaming experience. Currently, Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus are available as separate subscriptions or as various bundles. But even with a discounted bundle subscription, customers still need to log into separate apps to access the disparate content. However, this change would put all three into a single application. Iger noted that the standalone subscription options will still remain available. The company did not announce any immediate details on pricing for the forthcoming unified app. Currently, a Disney Plus and Hulu bundle with ads is $9.99 per month, while an ad tier Disney Plus, ESPN, and Hulu bundle is $12.99 per month. For $19.99 monthly, you can get a bundle including all three wherein Disney Plus and Hulu don't have ads. Disney has been the majority owner of Hulu since 2017. Currently, Comcast still retains a 33% stake in Hulu, but the company officially ceded control to Disney in 2019 and agreed to a planned future sale. Disney can purchase the remaining shares of Hulu beginning in early 2024, and Comcast has the ability to force the sale for a minimum of $9.2 billion. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we talk about computers, the workplace, and a lot of different things that go along with technology and how it impacts us. 
And technology has allowed us to become far more connected, far more uh, intrusive. What? Wait, what? Intrusive? Yes. Mark has this question. And Mark's question is a shocking one. It is not something that we would have put up with a number of years ago. But but in the modern day, we, we start thinking about, should we put up with it? Should we allow this? Mark's question is this. My boss wants the password to my personal email account. Can he do this? What does he want? What is this world coming to? I'm going to say right now, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on the radio or television. My advice here is not a legal advice. I will also note that Mark is not Mark. His name was changed to protect the innocent. Um, your boss wants the the password to your personal items. Let's 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 underscore this: personal, personal email, personal email account. What? Shall we give him access to your Facebook account? Shall we allow him to have keys to your car so he can go driving whenever he wants or, or search your car? Maybe to your house. Let's, let's allow him to put up cameras throughout your home. What about your bank account information? No, not just the deposit so he can give you money every week, but let's give him full unfettered access to knowing what you spend your money on, how much you save or, or how much you spend. Maybe to transfer money to his own personal account if he thinks you're being reckless with your money. Maybe he thinks he pays you too much or too little and he wants to find out. What? No. I struggle with this. There have been increasing stories in recent years in regards to this intrusion that comes into our lives. The boss calls you up at... It's three o'clock in the morning. Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> Sleeping? What's it of your business? I'm not on the clock. Yeah, we, we've had a lot of these different intrusions. And we have had a lot of these different situations that are going on in regards to this, this idea that we should be beholden to our boss at all hours of the day or night to whatever our boss bosses request of us look we do have a relationship we do have this work relationship and we do need to get along with our boss and we do need to make sure that we do give appropriate information when it's called for I, I don't even agree. Let, let's let's talk about this uh, from the business side for just a moment. I don't even agree with the idea of giving your boss the password to your work email, to your work accounts. I can I, I can change the password for you. You can go to IT if you want anything. You want to know anything in regards to my email? You can go to IT and have them provide it for you. See, your, your, your password, your password is your security. It's the company's security, but it's your security as well. Your password to your email, to your network access, to whatever it is, not only protects the company, from people meddling in other people's things for for doing things that are not accountable or at least accountable to others. Oh, 
hey, I'm going to take Joe's password, well, Mark's password. <laughs> we'll, we'll go to the guy who's, who's asking the question. Well, the pseudonym for the guy who's asking the question. We'll, we'll take Mark's password and we will embezzle millions of dollars out of the company. And it'll all point to Mark, even though we'll use Joe. Joe's the boss. Joe's not going to be on the hook for it. Uh, That doesn't work. See, this is a two-way street. It also protects Mark or you. Your password protects you from any accusations of wrongdoing, of impropriety, of anything. And that's on the work stuff. What about the home stuff? We've reached a point in, in, in our lives, a point and age where all of a sudden privacy is being broken down. I don't even believe that we should be friends with our bosses on Facebook. Maybe after you leave a company, maybe connect with them there. I think in LinkedIn, it's a little bit awkward, uh, but uh, you know that, that's an area where you can draw your own conclusion. Maybe your boss is somebody you really admire and you want to follow them in all of their different posts on LinkedIn and see what is going to be a driver for him in the future and you want to kind of look forward. But that's also a two-way street where he can look at all of the things that you don't do on LinkedIn. He can look at everything that's going on there. See, all of this starts to get into this vicious spin where we break down the privacy and sometimes we see value and that value actually doesn't arrive. We see negative value because we lose something. We lose a little bit, a, bit, a, a little bit, a little piece of our lives, a little piece of our a bit of our security. Look, you have to think about all of these different interactions, all of these different interchanges, all of these different areas where we have gone too far. And no, I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat at the moment. Maybe I should be. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this at every step and point in your lives, everywhere you're going. Are you giving out more information than you should? Are you giving your keys to the kingdom to somebody else? That might not be so good. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. What is Google I.O.? Google I.O. is a search engine's yearly developer conference. It's where developers go to get updated on the latest technology to improve the development of apps and other services for the Google ecosystem. It's also one of the main events for new Google announcements. Google is sticking artificial intelligence into search, its workspace apps, maps, and more. It's also updated its language model. At Google I.O., The company displayed a host of new internal and artificial intelligence deployments. Google plans to stick some form of AI into an increasing number of user software products and apps on its docket. Google's sequel to its language model is called PALM2. Google unveiled its latest large language model. The company said this new LLM is trained on more than 100 languages and has strong coding, mathematics, and creative writing capabilities. The company said there are four different versions of PALM, with the smallest, named Gecko, the version is small enough to work on mobile devices. Google claimed this system achieved 85% accuracy 
on the U.S. medical licensing examination. Though there's still enormous ethical questions to work out with artificial intelligence in the medical field. Google hopes Med PALM will be able to identify medical diagnosis by looking at images like an X-ray. Google's experiment for conversational AI has gotten some major upgrades. According to Google, it is now running on PALM2 and it has a dark mode. The team has been making rapid improvements to Bard's capabilities, citing its ability to code or debug programs, since it's now trained on more than 20 programming languages. Google announced it's removing the waitlist for its Bard AI letting out into the open in more than 180 countries. It should also work in both Japanese and Korean, and additionally, it should be able to accept around 40 languages soon. Bard can also integrate directly into Gmail, Sheets, and Docs, able to export text directly to those programs. Bard also uses Google Search to give images and descriptions in its responses. Google's bread and butter search is going to integrate the company's AI to create a snapshot to users' queries. These AI-generated summaries appear at the top of a page on the browser version of Google Search, while a set of links relating to the AI-generated text appears on the right. The AI snapshot also works when people search for products, as it displays prices and commentary on a search. For example, a search for good bike for five-mile commute with hills will generate a few bullet points about design and motor assistance, then rank a number of different brands based on those criteria. Google is still calling this an experiment with AI in search. The availability is limited, and there's currently a wait list on the new Search Labs platform for those who want to access this new AI in search and to use the AI to help with coding. Google said it's expanding the so-called Workspace AI Collaborator to add even more generative capabilities in its cloud-based apps. These generative AI and sidekick features are being released on a limited basis, but will be handed out to a more broad user base later this year. Much like Microsoft announced with its own 365 apps earlier this year, Google's adding generative AI into its Office-style applications. Google announced its new Help Me Write feature, which uses an AI to generate a full email response based on previous emails. For slides, users can now use text-to-image generation to add to a slideshow. The generator creates multiple instances of an image, and users can further refine those prompts with different styles. In Gmail, the AI sidekick can automatically summarize an email thread and can find cite earlier documents relating to that conversation. As far as Docs goes, the existing AI is getting more elaborate. It now suggests extra prompts based on generated text, and it can now add in AI-generated images directly within Docs. This also works within Slides, letting users generate speaker notes based on AI-generated summaries of each individual slide. Google wants to let AI personalize every user experience on their Android mobile devices, even letting users use an AI to customize their phone's wallpaper with AI-generated images. 
The company revealed that it's putting generative AI in its messages app. This magic compose feature will suggest responses for users or even rewrite an entire message draft. The AI would let users choose among six styles, from excited to chill, to even Shakespeare. The message AI is going into beta on user devices this summer. Users can also ask the AI to generate an entire wallpaper from scratch using an inbuilt text-to-image diffusion model. Users are directed through structured prompts to create an image that could include, for example, a subject and an art style. The phone should adjust to the new color palette after users set their AI wallpaper. AI will also be able to generate custom reactive wallpapers using emoji plus create 3D wallpapers from existing photos that introduce parallax scrolling backgrounds that respond to your phone's movement. This in addition to new screen customization options coming with the launch of Android 14 later this year. Using a new interface, users will be able to more fully edit and personalize the location, color, and theme of their lock screen shortcuts and widgets. Google showcased new updates to its magic eraser feature along with removing extraneous people, items, or other elements of a picture, the company said users will be able to transform objects inside each photo. Photo users should be able to punch up elements of an image, such as the lighting or the clouds in the sky. Google said these updates will help those elements blend seamlessly into the rest of the image. All Pixel phones should gain early access to Magic Editor later this year. Immersive view for routes will be available in the coming months for cities including Amsterdam, Berlin, Dublin, Florence, Las Vegas, London, Los Angeles, New York, Miami, Paris, Seattle, San Francisco, San Jose, Tokyo, and Venice. On the developer side of things, Google is introducing a new aerial view API allowing app makers to add more immersive points of interest that include detailed 3D overhead views, allowing users to see not just the specific locale, but the area around it too. One great use of this API is for realtor or apartment hunting apps, allowing prospective buyers or renters to see the surrounding neighborhood and what amenities are nearby, such as parks, or even access to major roads. Google is also making the high-res 3D imagery behind Google's Earth available to developers as part of an experimental new release, allowing app makers to make similarly immersive experiences without needing to source their own satellite imagery or 3D model generation. In a recent post, Google suggests it would potentially be a great tool for tourism, allowing 3D maps of national parks to be easily created, complete with 3D mountains, trees, and rivers, allowing potential tourists to see a destination in more detail before planning a trip or as a way to enhance the experience of an architectural landmark by introducing interactive overlays with interesting facts about the site and its history. 
Google announced its own PALM API for sale in March this year. Always a jealous dancing partner, Google now wants to become as popular as OpenAI is with its own API for integrating AI into existing services. And with its emphasis on coding, Google is trying to prime its enterprise business partners to go PALM rather than GPT-4 or some other equivalent LLM for their business needs. The inevitable problem with language models generating code is that even the most sophisticated model will inevitably get something wrong. Google is doing what few others have and are likely capable of doing and is creating a scaled version of PALM. As mentioned, the Gecko size LLM can run directly on a phone, but the unicorn version of PALM is supposed to be much bigger. Google wants to advertise these language models to support entire classes of products. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Marty Winston joins me now, and Marty is... Uh, he's got a lot of different products that he goes through and he reviews for us. And we, we talk about uh, we talk about the better things that come along. Indeed. Oren, sometimes I warn you off of the stuff that isn't so much better, but there, always there listen carefully. Yes. yes. If I list so many conditions you have to fulfill in order to like something, I'm giving you a <laughs> caution. Very true. Like you have yeah. to love this if you're if you wear glasses, you have red hair and you are in uh, Greenland, you know, it just <laughs> I think that's fair. Yes. And and, and, there, there and, and, and new to automation and new to automation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you have experience, you won't be interested. So, Marty, one of the things that caught my eye and, you know, I hadn't I hadn't thought about the 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 way our world is moving into technology. Where else would we go? But the garage door opener. <laughs> I love it, though. It, it, it is. It's it's very accurate, though. Well, the first garage door opener company was Genie. And uh, Genie is a little over 100 years old. They're going to their second century. And I yes. had them send me. I said, send me one. I said, it doesn't have to be your super high tech. Yes. But all of them have a lot of tech in them. So they sent me their model 2128L. L stands for LED. Mm-hmm. And First thing I'm seeing is I don't have to get up the ladder to change a bulb anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is uh, that's a nice thing in itself. Yes. Yeah. Uh, some of the other tech though, even brighter, like Wi-Fi. They they have an app they call Aladdin Connect. Mm-hmm. Your phone can tell you what's happening, let you open or shut the door from wherever your phone can connect, and yeah, it works with Alexa. So. Your eyes are about to close. You're in bed. Your eyes are about to close and you don't know if the garage door has. Pull out the phone. You don't even have to get your head off the pillow. That's done. Sure. Uh, You you call out to your Alexa device. Hey, is the garage open? And Alexa says, I'm sorry. I am not Google. (laughs) 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 And... Anyway, if your car comes with its own remote buttons, uh, you know, yeah, the, the, yeah. it's car to you or it's home link. It works with both of those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know how they have that thing at the bottom so you're not squashing feet or cats or anything when the garage. Yeah, yeah, the little the infrared light. Yeah. Team, right? But yeah. they also now have um, sensing on the path itself, the, the, the motor resistance. 
Mm-hmm. So if the door reaches resistance, you don't have to wait for the beam. It'll stop and reverse itself and go back up. Okay. Uh, when the power's out, now this particular model I got doesn't have this built in. You can add it, but a lot of models do battery backup. So okay. All right. Not, nice. You don't have to go to manual. You're not shut out of your garage. You, you're going to want that door closed if the weather's not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, battery backup is something you and I talked Oh, what was that? Six or seven years ago for the battery backup for uh, for a garage door opener, and now it's yeah, coming we, included. We so that's great. From a computer, a cheap computer backup, and it works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, the spring and the track really expensive maintenance pieces. Yeah. But they've moved to DC motors with soft start and soft stop, so you're not jackhammering those things all the time. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first gonna stretch maintenance. Yeah, the f- first thing you hear when you hit the garage door open, like yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Slow it yeah. down, and yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, although the, when that door comes down too fast without the spring, it's like a guillotine made out of wood or steel, <laughs> depending on your door. Mine's yeah. steel, uh, steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It, it, it's power efficient. It's quieter. It works great, but it can still handle 500-pound garage doors. Okay. Uh, the one I got was a Genie 2128L. You take a look. I mean, they've got help deciding what features you want and what you don't. Uh, nice, nice. They're all over the place. You know, Home Depot and Lowe's and Menards and A's and Costco and Amazon and so on. Or check out their website. Find a local installer. This is garage door manifested as tech and i'm loving it very cool oh speaking of garage doors yeah yeah got an anchor eufy camera it's not eufy eufy's are normal security camera line yeah. but they have a garage control cam plus with it comes with a okay. plate that goes on your opener mm-hmm. the uh, there's a magnet on the camera so it points to the garage door and uh, also shows you the spaces are people back in the garage have they left yet you know all of that stuff so uh, you got a broad, really broad, 130-degree uh, field of view. There's motion detection and night vision and AI for human detection. It's got video storage. It's got app notifications. It works on low-band Wi-Fi, but there's no monthly fee. Oh, okay. it also lets you remote trigger your garage door opening and closing. So you add video surveillance. A lot of the features that come with the cool new Wi-Fi garage door openers to a pretty good spread of older or dumber openers already in garages. It's about a hundred bucks on Amazon. Okay, so so this is interesting. You're talking about you can uh, you can use this camera to trigger it. Yes. Okay. You can. So uh, is, is is you can that, also use the app through the camera to trigger it. All right, so so we're really bringing tech into the garage. We're we're moving this into into the modern age. <laughs> <laughs> so so I like that. That's good. Yeah, pretty soon the garage will have almost as much electronics as the dashboard. That that would be interesting. I, I I'm not looking forward to setting up a big huge screen in the garage for anything other than. <laughs> You know, watching the game, you know, something to do while I'm doing other work out there. Oh, drive-in movies. Sure, sure. Take your date, close the door, nobody knows. I And I'm sitting here, I'm saying, you know, watch the game. You know, you know how often yeah, I watch I, the game? I'm a nerd. That's not part of my, you know, my genetic makeup, <laughs> watching sports. 
Anyways, that's the voice of Marty Winston. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you, Marty. Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. Tech Ed Connect. Presentation on blockchain and healthcare. Thursday, June 1st. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is wpcug.org. Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey meets Friday, June 2nd. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Website is acgnj.org. New York Amateur Computer Club, Thursday, June 8th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is nyacc.org. Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, June 9th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is limac.org. King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, June the 13th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Park Plaza Restaurant, 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. Call 347-278-7320 to confirm. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN Live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email address to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy. Until we meet again, same time, same station, next week. Uh